Welcome to Forever Young Adult, a podcast where I, Aoife, and I, Kira, talk about young adult fiction and the changing times we're living in. Damn, you okay? I don't know if that's relevant to your book or not. I don't know if that's relevant to your book or not, uh, but I've been listening to a lot of Bo Burnham Inside on Spotify, so um, like I'm having mm-hmm. a bit of a time. Like I went to sleep last night listening to Bo Burnham inside because my brain was too active and the speed of which he talks and sings and just contents was perfect for my like swirling thoughts it was great I'm having a really good time what book did you read no no we're getting into that um I think that it's like it's like cheese you know bear Mm -hmm. with me when you're having a time Like you have your own existing sources of bad time in in your body and in your brain and in your life. But sometimes you just want to inoculate yourself with some externally derived, even worse time. (laughs) So like Bo Burnham's inside for you has got to be like the veins in your blue cheese bad time right now. Honestly, um, I think that I could word for word white woman's Instagram. Amazing. A song you recommended to me last weekend that I still haven't checked out. <laughs> I mean, the whole thing is a time. Also, uh, 30. Whew, I feel some of that as well because I just turned 29. There's a lyric from Los Campesinos that's... Mm-hmm. It's a song that's just a list of the different antidepressants he's been on. And there's a line in it that says, I think it's... 37 and depression's a young man's game. It's like, yeah, <laughs> rip. <laughs> um, so you've got a good 10 years. I got, I got some time, I got some time. But yeah. I'm doing okay. My partner was away for a month and now they're back, so that's good. They also brought with them a bunch of stuff that I had delivered to their parents' house in Scotland because Brexit UK delivery rules, um, including a recipe book of Palestinian recipes uh, collected from a community center in a refugee camp in Palestine. I'm gonna cook so much good Middle Eastern food uh, this week. That was a fantastic idea. That sounds really good. It's really good. A lot of the meat recipes are like serves 10 and the portion is like, take one small lamb. No. I mean, it's good. I just don't know where I'd get a lamb. Okay, well, I'm going to start with the recipes that call for one whole chicken because you can get that in Tesco. But we're a book podcast. That's fair. (laughs) So kind of before I can tell you about the book Claudine by Ryoko Ikeda, I need to tell you about shoujo manga. Uh, Does that term mean anything to you? It means nothing to me. Manga is in like... As in Japanese comic? Yes. Okay. Uh, so shoju is actually debatably similar enough to YA. Um, it is more a demographic marketing term to some people's eyes and it's more a genre term in other people's eyes. It's mm-hmm. used slightly differently in Japan and in the West. But the term originally means like girl, woman under the age of 20. And they are any manga that are targeted at girls, girls in that demographic. under the age of 20 yeah 
and they tend to have strong themes of romance and personal growth. Um, okay. But that's in the modern time. Um, this book is from 1978. And previous to the 1970s, Shoju was, you know, we had kind of girls' own comics growing up, those kind of things. Mm-hmm. You know, this content for girls that's very much not written by girls and it's like written by adults with the like aim of enriching and edifying these young people. Um, the first shoju magazines uh, came out in like the early, early 1900s. Like I saw one comic strip from 1901 and they were like these serialized little girls magazines that like little girls could read while their parents read the newspaper. Um, and they would have serialized comic strips in them. So like you'd have an episode of your manga in it. And then later on that manga might be published as a volume. But yeah, they were primarily written by men. And that changed in the 70s with a group of artists who were known in Japan as the Year 24 group which in English I've heard translators refer to them as the 49ers. And what that refers to is approximately the year they were born, which in the Gregorian calendar was 1949 and in the calendar Japan was using was year 24. I, it's tangent, but I just really love differing calendars. I just enjoy it because Same. time is... Time isn't real. I mean, like, the sun rises and sets and we set our day around it, but we also decide as individuals how we, like, count it. And I enjoy when calendars of different, like, societies don't match up. It brings me a lot of joy. I had no idea until I was researching why they were called the Year 24 group, why that that Japan had a different calendar. Um so like yeah very interesting to me um i believe i believe at, at this stage they use both but yes. yes so yeah um you know they were measuring it by emperor um and we are imagine, still measuring by jesus imagine if in the west like we started at zero every time there was a new king of england then i would have to like legitimately have learnt who they were <laughs> i'm thinking of how like you know y2k you know yeah. how everyone was like freaking out that like the bug would destroy everything because their system wasn't built what if that was the case that we were like doing it by year of reign of a monarch and then like one monarch was approaching a hundred years oh and my you're goodness like, oh, our dates are only we only have two slots in the year. See, they would have to be so long lived because they wouldn't have become the monarch on like birth, which means that they probably would have had to like become monarch at like two years old and now be a hundred and two. Some people so do I that. I mean, some people do that. Very few people become monarchs at two though. Very true. Often there's at least a custodian. Um, so that's why Ryoko Ikeda is part of the year 24 group. Um, but yeah, they were real innovators in the field. They were, uh, like I said, mostly female at this point. 
manga artists and definitely shoju manga artists are almost exclusively women um she also her and like this wave she was with like really innovated aesthetic and art and changed the plot um the plot norms so when i'm talking about how shoju is generally about romances and generally about personal growth um that's about what these people wrote and what the legacy is um okay as well as reading this manga um i listened to a long episode of a podcast called shoju and tell which in which the host interviewed the translator who translated this manga into english from japanese um Mm -hmm. and she speaks a lot about the history of the genre and how like there's like you've you've seen manga there's a lot of very stylized stuff um the kind of stuff where the instead of it just being comic book blocks you'll have like yeah i'm holding this something up to the camera for kira (laughs) you've got like small panels to show you someone's expression or hands and then someone standing it's very dynamic and she was a real innovator in that um and as well in the artistic shorthand, like, you know, mm-hmm. don't let me freak you out here, but uh, cartoon art is not anatomically correct. Oh, my goodness. Oh, yeah, my I'm goodness. So sorry. Are you going to are you going to tell me about giant titties? No, <laughs> no. OK, <laughs> there are not giant titties. I was going to talk about the eyes, Kira. OK, well, I. <laughs> OK. I had the fear because you're like, I don't want to freak you out. And I was like, oh, no, she's going to talk about sexy things. No. But yes, no. I do know. I do know about mangas, um, mangas, uh, stylistic facial expressions and how they draw the eyes bigger um, for multiple reasons, but also because it shows better like facial expression that you can do more with the face that way. Yeah. Um, Oh, can't believe you made me say big titties on the pod. I get, Kira's just obsessed with big anime titties. Like, I'm you, like, so sorry to disappoint you. You just put, like, a gun to my head and made me say it. Okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, anyway. Um, obviously, the you have to choose what bit. Now, I can't get the fuck Everything I say, I'm like, oh, this just sounds so weird if I'm talking about titties, but I'm not. I'm talking about faces. Um, when you're developing an artistic language for communication within a genre, like everyone gets an idea of like what they're going to simplify down and what they're going to mm-hmm. emphasize. And like that evolves over time. And this translator I was listening to was also saying how like Ryoko Ikeda was one of the first people to do like certain expressions with the eyes that like it's not an expression a human face can do it's like the eyes go completely completely pupilless and it's like a look of despair which like she uses in this but then now is almost always used in an over dramatic ironic way in modern manga okay. so it's like a fun um yeah it's it's a fun way that you can see the evolution of the style and like she started doing pupilless eyes in general where like the eyes were huge and like heavily eyelashed 
um, but there's just like color and brightness and there's no like people in the middle. When you describe it, so like I know what that looks like and I know that it looks perfectly normal to me, but when you describe it, I'm like, oh no, that's a hellscape. Why would you draw an eye with no pupil? But I totally know, I totally know the style you're talking about and you've just shown me the picture of it. And like, I rem I know it from like cartoons and like other mangas and things. So like, I know it, it mm -hmm. makes sense. It's a beautiful style. But when you, when you verbally describe it, oh no. Yeah. Oh no. Pupils are very important. <laughs> they let the, uh, the, the light in. Yeah, that's where you see. Um, but yes, that's our sort of general history of shoju. Um, I'm doing my best with both Japanese and French pronunciations in this. I have studied French, but I have no knowledge of Japanese. And also from listening to the translator who translated <laughs> this, I might care more about French pronunciation than the original manga artist did. <laughs> Um, because she does things like name a character Andrew. <laughs> In French okay. would be Andre. Andrew. But Akira was writing art for Japanese oh. people in Japan okay. in the 1970s and she did not care about... It was never made for export. She didn't think any actual French person would read this, I guess. It wasn't the point of it. Um, and yeah, I... I'm going to give a brief author talk and then get into the book. Perfect. I'm thank you for giving me all this like information about mangas at the top. That was actually very useful. So other than being a member of the uh, year 24 group, um, Ryoko Okeda was also a singer. Um, she was firstly, she was a comic artist. Mm -hmm. uh, her most but well-known manga in which is also shoju is called the rose of versailles so it is also french uh in setting but then in the 90s she left the comic industry and studied at music school and became a singer and then she came back to making manga but from what I can see, she's mostly like a scene artist right now, which is like she doesn't write her own stories. She just um, she mm -hmm. illustrates or like does the backgrounds for other people's work, just kind of helps it work better. Um, and she has also received the Ordre National de la Légion de l'Honneur. Uh, from France for her contribution to Japan's cultural awareness of France that was in 2008 and in 2011 she was the guest of the Angoulême International Comics Festival um, so France loves her I'm sorry I'm sorry I am really enjoying her being like ah uh... I'm doing something with France, but I don't really mm -hmm. care enough about France to research names or anything. And then France was like, yeah. hey, 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 here's some awards for the work you did about how how you yeah. represented France. And she's like, I do not care for you. <laughs> Her most famous work is The Rose of Versailles, which is set around the French Revolution 
it is like a romance in there. Mm-hmm. But like that was bor- born, uh, that came out in 1972, which is six years before this. And apparently she did a good enough job in that for, you know, France to be like, we love you. But this book is set in no particular period, has characters with names all over the place. And some of the fashion is honestly just 1970s Japan. I mean, okay, I was going to say, why would you not do 1970s Japan? And then I realized that, like, I don't know what that fashion is. Um, But honestly, like, the fashion of everywhere, the fashion of everywhere in 1970 that I know of is so far superior to the fashion of, like, now. That's so fair, but this book is ostensibly kind of set in, like, historical France. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) also a historical novel (laughs) okay i want all of my historical novels to feature people wearing skinny jeans from now on claudie 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 he is beautiful i love his scarf that is not that is not a historical outfit that's um that's a biker outfit with a bonus beautiful scarf. I, I love him. Look at those boots! Oh, okay. We will post a picture of Claudine on our Instagram so that you can see the beautiful boots. Yeah, he is wearing like knee-high like riding boots, skinny black jeans, like a jacket that looks like it might be black leather over a yellow cable knit jumper and a big flowing lavender scarf. And he's got like... You know one of those gay little hats Ryan wears in High School Musical? (laughs) One of them in black and red. Oh, I love this description. It's very accurate. Now, having had a lovely time at length explaining some manga stuff to you, we have to get into the actual book and content warning transphobia. (laughs) Like, a lot. Um... So the protagonist of this book has been alternately called Claudine and Claude outside of the book. Within the book, he's exclusively called Claudine, except for Mm -hmm. one like word bubble early in the book where his mother is like despairing and saying like even some of his little friends call him Claude, which... I fully missed the first time I was reading this. So when I was looking at people on the internet talking about Claude, I was like, wow, do you guys just, did you just give this guy a masculine name, which he never asked for in the text? But it is there very briefly. So I think I'm going to call him Claude for our discussion. Very good. Additionally, he is referred to with she, her pronouns throughout because this book is narrated by a psychiatrist his mother brings him to see when he's 10 years old. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, so wait. I'm picking th- some things up here, Aoife. I'm picking up that Claude might be trans? Yeah, Claude might be trans. Um love that for him this, the book opens and like i said it's set in it is set in historical france i guess um but not really coherently any time in particular like places are lit by fireplace 
um, and Claude as a person perceived as a woman is able to go to university so that's the kind of thing we have um we're we're messing we're, we're we're taking like a historical setting and some historical events i assume and then being like but what if we, they're fan fictioning oh my god it's an au it's an alternative universe historical yeah fans. yeah <laughs> sure uh so the story follows claude from he this first session when he's 10 to Mm-hmm. The well, I'm not going to spoil right at this point. It follows right until he's doing, I believe, a master's degree, um, in his sort okay. of mid twenties. And while it sort of this psychiatrist comes up now and again, he doesn't really like. He's not extremely present in the plot, but he is like he talks to Claude right at the beginning and right at the end of the book and the book the story is framed mm-hmm. like this psychiatrist is telling you the story of this guy he knew um and the great tragedy that was his life and so in between we follow claude's three main romances and yes the tragedies that befall him basically exclusively because of either his queerness of, or others Okay. Sounds fun. Sounds like it might be uh, a little bit upsetting in places. Yeah, it's depending. It's pretty upsetting. Um, I will say when this was being discussed by the translator in the podcast I was listening to, I felt mm-hmm. I didn't enjoy some of the attitudes she took because it was very much that liberal straight person idea of, well... It was a different time. It was the best we could do. Okay. Um, and like some of Claude's issues do come from not having language to understand himself. Or he has language to understand mm-hmm. himself, but society doesn't have language to understand him. To, you know? yeah. So he is very clear, but they're not understanding. Yeah. His first scene is his mother being like, for the last two plus years, my child has been saying he's a boy. He's dressing like a boy. Even his little friends call him Claude. Like, what do I do with this doctor? And the doctor actually is kind of like, so Claude, what's up? And Claude's like, I'm a boy. <laughs> Even if I am not a boy now, I was a boy before and I'll be a boy again. I'm like a boy in my spirit and it's my body that's wrong. And... The counselor is kind of like, all right, let's be friends. Amazing. But yeah, Claude's pretty clear on that. Um, but, you know, first off, a lot of his problems derive from um, he has three brothers and it's said in the text that like his three brothers all take after his mother who's really boring and she doesn't have much to distinguish her (laughs) like this grand charismatic lord that was claude's father took a gentle and kind wife because she would be easy to deal with and then three of his sons are just very like their mother easy to deal with claude comes along and is like his dad and it the text makes a big deal about how he's like his dad and he like 
likes manly things and he likes hanging out with his dad and then you know that causes him trouble because his family don't like him being a boy um yeah they think that he should be easy to deal with like his mother um and he wants to be a knight he's got this real like shoujo male protagonist thing of like he's very gallant um but he also sort of isn't he's sort of um his first romance is with a girl who's working as a maid um with his family Mm -hmm. and his friend rosemary who is a girl of his own social class um says that she like sees him as a boy in the wrong body and Claude's like cool great mm-hmm. fine but I don't like that you even know that people think I'm a girl um and then this other girl arrives and like her first thing is to be like oh you must be one of the sons of the family and then she's like oh no I'm so embarrassed I can't believe I got that wrong um of course you're the young lady oh. um but it's like that is enough for Claude to be like okay this one this one I'm romancing, even though she is an employee of my family in my home. I mean, what age is he at this point? Like, yeah, don't. Okay, I don't want to defend someone rom- romancing their employee. It's vague. But I'm she, also. It's, it's explicit in the text that um, the maid mm-hmm. has had her first period. We don't know what name what age Claude is meant to have been at this point, but he's older than 10 and, like, younger than 15. Okay. You know what? I'm going to give him a pass. Yeah. Like, I don't like it, but I'm going to give him a pass on this one. Just because, also, I'm like, what are they going to get up to? A little bit of kissing? They're good. They're children. So, briefly, the rest of that relationship is... (laughs) Oh, no. No, no, this this poor maid girl gets a letter from home saying her father died. She starts crying. Claude comforts her, kisses her. They get walked in on and the girl gets sent away and fired because the young lady of the house has been attracted to her. I forgot. Okay, I forgot that the, that the rest of the house is like, Claude is a lo- young lady and lesbianism is also not like allowed mm-hmm. <laughs> yep <laughs> because like if it was if if the, it was like their 13 year old like bio son um shifting the maid they'd have been like don't do that mm-hmm. again that that would have all have been it and like maybe they would have like docked her or something and like that's terrible but there wouldn't have been repercussions for the sun yeah true i I mean i don't know that there really Um, is other than the love of his entire life who he's so obsessed with has gone away and he's a great tragedy because this is a shoju manga and that's the mood (laughs) fair enough yeah and then second i i yeah no i just genuinely forgot that uh, if they weren't cool with him being trans, they probably weren't going to be cool with him being, like, a lesbian. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, I am... I am so innocent. <laughs> Go on. Um, I don't know. Maybe it's 
ugh, whatever. Um, our second romance is even more dodgy than that. Um, because okay. Claude gets a crush on the school librarian. Um, and she, like, takes a special interest with him. And she uh, talks to him about books and poetry. And she's like, you're such, like, a sensitive and distinguished person. And they chat a lot. And so that's a whole bunch of problem already there. Yes, I agree. Yeah. And again, Rosemary, this friend who's been a friend of Claude's since early childhood, um, her, well, she's very jealous that Claude has a crush on this older teacher lady, uh, librarian lady. And she... When he could have a crush on yeah. her. She's oh like, God. why don't you have a crush on me? I'd do anything for you. I love you so much. Um, and then Rosemary's tutor, because they're all very posh people, uh, is the brother mm-hmm. of Celine, who is the librarian who Claude is infatuated with. And they live together, the brother and sister. And this brother come ho- comes home one day and is like, talking about like this older guy he's seeing and Claude finds out that the tutor is having an affair with his father which means his father's also mm-hmm. queer ooh ooh mm-hmm. layers yeah. tiramisu yeah. and Rosemary doesn't realise that Rosemary doesn't know this but Rosemary knows that Celine and Claude Claude wants that to be a thing. Uh, So she's out riding in the woods one day and she passes a groundskeeper Mm -hmm. hut and like a little pervert spy, she peeks in the windows and sees Celine and Claude's dad hooking up. Okay. Okay. Okay, okay, okay. I enjoy that they are so similar. They're like, oh, it's such a tragedy that my my child is similar to me um but they're so similar to the degree to that they fancy the same woman yeah, yeah. um so <laughs> there's a whole horrible sequence of events here where claude mm-hmm. reveals his feelings to celine and celine is like that's very sweet but you're only a schoolgirl. you'll grow out of it um i you're you're a woman i'm a woman how would that even work and claude is kind of like taken aback because like obviously he thought that she saw him as a man or at least was hadn't explicitly misgendered him and at the Mm -hmm. same time uh rosemary tells her tutor what she saw in the woods because she's distressed by it and she doesn't know the tutor was also hooking up with Claude's father. So the tutor goes crazy, goes into the woods, sets the hut on fire with the two people still in it. Oh, wow. Okay. Escalation. Laughs at the flames. Laughs at the um, flames. Very crazy. And in that fire, I think Rosemary tries to like warn people or something. Um I'm trying to see the details. Ah, so Claude sees the fire and goes towards it. 
And then Rosemary's like, oh no, and goes to try rescue Claude from the fire. And Rosemary gets a really bad burn on her face. And Claude just kind of goes away and there's a time skip and the next time we see them's in university. So, so I'm on TikTok, yeah. okay? And I don't know why, but the algorithm has been giving me people with like real heavy dissociative disorders at the moment, um, where they're basically like, this tra- traumatic event happened. I came back to myself six years later. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and, uh, and that's Claude. That, that what you're describing is like, there was a traumatic event where he was like, Hey, I love you older and appropriate lady. And then she was in a fire with his father who she was also having a relationship. And Claude was like, you know what? I'm going to peace out for a couple of years. I, this is such a dare. Brain broke. It's such a daring concept to say that protagonists of books have dissociative disorders because we only see part of their lives. (laughs) Like it works. It reminds Uh, me of that Doctor Who episode where Donna's stuck in a dream and it keeps skipping time. But because you're used to TV editing, you don't realize what she's noticing is strained for a little while. Yeah. Yeah, I've... Well, you see, it's just like if if they were like, okay, and then like if if it, if if the the episode of his life before the time skip wasn't traumatic, I probably wouldn't have like made the connection, but um there we go. I, I'm going to I'm going to make it. I fully fully accept that. I'm very brave. Um So, I don't know. Um I'm trying to figure out for the rest of the story whether I value sort of not spoiling a hundred page comic. This story doesn't have a happy ending. Obviously you've seen there's a lot of transphobia in this so far. Sorry to give you guys this info so far into the episode but in the end of this Claude does die by suicide. So if you want to skip out on the discussions leading to that that's totally fine. We'll catch you in two weeks time. Okay, so things aren't great at home growing up. Um, and then he goes to university. Is there a third relationship or is it just like an escalation of now that he is out in the world more, he is meeting more people and the misgendering is like greater or is he able to quote unquote pass as a cis guy at university and then things go badly so those are the only plot lines i know well you see the thing is you don't you maybe don't know as much about shoju romance um ah yes you see i did kind of expect because it was a because of the way that you described shoju romance that it would be like a happy-ish ending like that Claude would find someone who accepts him and they would love each other into the sunset but um that doesn't seem to be the way that this is going so I'm presenting the other options of tropes that I know yeah it's 
it's not a happy ending just there's a lot of romantic tragedies in shoju as well and i think what's really interesting about this one is how it is just his being trans that causes the tragedy and this is a story that like i said from the beginning is framed by the psychologist as like i knew this man whose life was a great tragedy Mm -hmm. for this one reason he was trans and it is like he is having a traditional shoju romance that should end with happy off into the sunset but it doesn't because he's trans and that is the great tragedy yeah when he's in college we first meet by name the character of Siren. Now, because it's mm-hmm. a shoju, uh, Siren has actually appeared previously in the background and stuff. Uh, that first few scenes where she, those first few scenes where Claude is brought to Paris by his mother to see the psychologist, uh, when they're walking down the street, a young girl is carrying an umbrella and it blows away in the wind and Claude picks it up and hands it back to her and they see each other and she says thank you and that's Siren. Mm-hmm. What a beautiful meet-cute. It's a beautiful meet-cute. And then the second time when he's a teenager, he's, I think, just walking about the town and he passes a dance studio where some people are doing ballet and there's one girl looking out at the street and she sees Claude going past and then she kind of stops dancing and stares for a while Mm -hmm. and that's also we're led to believe Siren Um, but then in college they actually meet but this this kind of you saw them and our lives kept crossing but it just wasn't the right time yes yes soulmates uh soulmates across the city yeah um so claude goes to college and is really cool and everyone likes him uh he does really good grades it's there's a bit where they're like even the exclusive men's club on campus let him in because he's so cool even though they think he's a girl um and it seems to be an okay time for him uh Mm -hmm. he meets siren Initially, thinks she thinks he's AMAB. Um, and they, like, chat at a party and flirt. And then Siren realizes he's AFAB and is like, oh, my God, how embarrassing. And Claude's like, okay, but I can't love again. Um, it's been tough. I've, you know, dissociated for six years. <laughs> um <laughs> Like last time, I first time I loved someone, she got sent away. Second time I loved someone, she died in a fire with my dad who she was sleeping with. I can't do this. Um, but they do just decide to be like, okay, we'll just live together and we'll be boyfriend, girlfriend and everyone will think we're roommates and it's fine. And, you know, Siren's family are like, oh, a girl from such a well-off family taking an interest in our little Siren. How wonderful. This will be great for her social prospects and stuff. This is a good stage for her to be at in college. Um, uh, so Claude was like, I cannot love again. Trauma. Let's be girlfriends. Sort of. Um, 
What a dramatic ass. I love them. Well, this is, this is uh, shoju, I think. Um, but yeah, it's like, you know, Siren's like, oh, I don't regret having to give up this idea of, you know, a husband and a family that people will understand. Like, I love you enough to live with you forever and we'll be safe and like even though no one will understand our relationship like we understand our great love but you see unfortunately it's not enough or do they get discovered they well so rosemary comes back because rosemary is a herald of misfortune in this mm -hmm. world um and she's like, oh, I started up a great shop up the road. Um, you know, I don't think I'll ever get married because I have such a horribly disfiguring scar. Um, I've started a little fashion shop and I'm doing well for myself. You should pop by. Is your brother staying with you, by the way? And Claude's like, no, what? And Rosemary's like, oh, sorry. It's just um, I saw Andrew in the shop the other day and I was like oh my god what are you doing in Paris hi and he was like oh yeah I'm just like staying up the road for a little while so I you know thought I'd pop in and see the shop um and so Rosemary's like oh so I thought he was like staying with you because you live up that road and Claude's like no I wasn't around that week are you putting together the pieces uh one of the pieces is that Claude is Andrew? No. No. The, okay. No, so I'm these like, are very different pieces. Okay. Um, the other piece is that Andrew has come... Oh no. Oh no. Is, is his girl sleeping with Andrew? Yeah. So... Oh no. Siren was like, it's such a beautiful, passionate love we have. I am willing to choose it over everything else in society. But then it turns out, you know, Claude has these very nice, uninteresting brothers who are older than him and they're husband material because people understand them as men. So, you know, if Siren wants a nice husband who's going to be okay to her, uh, even though it's not a passionate lifelong love, well, maybe this is the way to do it. Yeah. Oh. So, so Claude confronts her about it and Siren's like, look, what we have could never have gone anywhere. Um, but you said that it could. You said that it was chill and that you would have the love and that society would just have to, like, be cool. You, you, you she I did say that. <laughs> Oh, I'm very annoyed with her. I'm angry um, with her, this fictional character. Yeah. And Claude then confronts Andrew and Andrew's like, Siren's told me everything that's gone on between you. Of course, I forgive you. You're just a girl. It was nothing serious. You guys were messing around. Lots of people do stuff like that in college. Um, no hard feelings, eh? Like, I'm not going to disown you for fucking my wife. I... Oh, I do enjoy that the trope of uh, messing around with your college roommate apparently goes way back to the 70s um, mm -hmm. when the book was written. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, but, oh, like, you're just a, you're just a little girl and you didn't understand what you were doing. So it's not, I'll give you this one pass. Don't do mm-hmm. it again, you silly little girl, you. What mm-hmm. a condescending asshole. Yep. And, uh... So Claude's like, okay, so you forgive me, but I can't fucking forgive you. Goodbye. And then we go into the final scene, which is a conversation where uh, Claude calls up this old psychiatrist Mm -hmm. and is like, hey, so it's been a few years. Did you learn anything from me? Was Was I an interesting case, like as a professional? Was I scientifically relevant? Yeah. Um, and he says, um, this is a psychiatrist now. You've known me a long time, you say. Well, I suppose that's already true. I've, it's been 15 years since I first met you. To tell the truth, I never once treated you like a patient. Naturally, I don't think this is all a father complex or some such. And then Claude says, I'm a man. It's not that I wanted to live as one with the father I adored. I simply really am a man. And the psychiatrist said, I believe that as well. You are a man, but you have an imperfect body. You happen to be born with a woman's body, but I believe that you are a most manly and splendid gentleman, Claudine. And the word imperfect, you see really landing with Claude he like gasps and then like the word imperfect is in like this massive like sun super above his head and he hangs up the phone and he says imperfect I see I'm an imperfect man and I think that's the language that's most helpful to him um that he gets to see like it's not that I'm a woman who's flawed I'm a man who didn't get who, who has like a flaw which prevents me from getting to live like a man um, and yeah this uh, that's the end of it unfortunately um, like I said Claude dies by suicide after that phone call um, poor Claude I am glad that he got that moment of like language. Yeah, I think that's and really that, good. Like the understanding of himself and didn't have to um and didn't have to die without like like okay, from your description, Claude always has a clear understanding of mm-hmm. himself. He just doesn't have the language, he doesn't have the ability to like define it for other people. And as a result, he can't really define it for himself. But I am glad that pre-decesement, he is able to get that, like, peace. Mm -hmm. It's good. But I also don't love that... um, It it is good. And it is the imperfect... um, I saw the, the author... The translator, actually. I, I listened to the translator mm-hmm. discuss her choice of that word. Um, and I'm not sure if it is straight up the word imperfect in Japanese. It seemed a bit like she was framing it as 
it's the idea of something that starts right and then goes wrong. Like, uh, okay. in my head trying to frame it, I'm thinking of like, uh, like an apple or something growing where it's like, it starts mm-hmm. and it's just like, you know, a little fruit growing. And then it's only as it grows that you see that there's like, you know, the, the, it's really twisted off to one side or something. Um, and it's All like right. an imperfection that maybe was always there, but only manifests later. Um, pet peeve, though, is that in the second last page, um, the psychiatrist narration says, as a psychiatrist, I have no hesitation in diagnosing Claudine as a transsexual. And I'm like, couldn't you have told him earlier on? <laughs> like, if you... If you have the term, I'm sure there's more than one of them in France. So here is here is a thing that I know, which is that um, sometimes sometimes medical people don't like giving you an official diagnosis because then you have an official diagnosis. Like literally stigma. That's the thing. They're like, oh, if I give you this as an official diagnosis, you'll be stigmatized by it. So I will just like treat all the symptoms or like support you with the symptoms, but I won't actually like give you a name for your condition. Mm-hmm. And it is a pet peeve of mine in the real world. Um, but that could be what was happening. I was reading a book recently where a character is dying of cancer. It's like a side back side character. Um but another character mm-hmm. talking about this is saying, and naturally we didn't tell her she had cancer. It's a book from like the 70s as well. And that was a normal thing to do is be like, well, you've got an untreatable condition. So if we tell you it, you'll only despair and we'll protect you from it. Yeah. And like, it is insane right now to imagine doing that with a physical health condition. Um. But yeah, people still do it with psychological shit. Not that I think being trans is a mental yep. illness. Um, but yeah, I really want to talk about the... So it's a weird perception of queerness in this book, right? So mm-hmm. it's like we... Claude is a man. We are very much told that by the narrative. He is a man. He is an okay. imperfect man. It is tragic. His imperfection caused tragedy in his lives, in his life. Uh, His father was bisexual or, you know, I don't know how he identified. He has affairs with men and women. And that also led to his untimely death. Yeah. So it's like sympathetic homophobia, sympathetic transphobia, where you are like, oh, I don't know. It reminds me of... um, so the UK decriminalized homosexuality in like the 60s and the language mm-hmm. used in like the parliamentary debates about that was like we who are so blessed to be able to have wives and families and normal healthy lives should like pity those horrid poor queers who can't do any of that and who are we to tell them that they can't even find brief comfort with each other in the privacy of their own homes yeah it was who 
I mean, at least they, like, the end result, but damn, those conversations were not yeah. great. Not great at all. And it just, ex- it, a lot of the Claudine content, the, this whole manga has a bit of the same vibe to me of, let me tell you about this great tragedy of a flawed man. And I'm like, I think it is society that is flawed. See, okay, I know that you said earlier, like, that the translator was talking about it, and they were like, listen, it's not great, but this is the best that we could do, given the times that we're writing it in, and they were writing it in the same time as that, as those parliament debates. And this is one of the first pieces of media in Japanese to deal with trans themes, according to its own Wikipedia page. Mm -hmm. I don't know how much to trust that. (laughs) And it is ultimately sympathetic. Um, Another thing I haven't been able to discuss in how I think it's sympathetic is the art style in shoju and in 70s manga and in Ikeda's work specifically is very sexually dimorphic. Um, It's not... Mm -hmm. I don't want to bring it back to the big anime titties. That's not a thing. (laughs) but you know the women are drawn very soft and small and the men are very like honestly alien looking with their very very long thin limbs and like their very square shoulders and defined jaws and stuff and that's Mm -hmm. how Claude is drawn so you know both in the text he is able to pass and also like in the art form, we get to see him as drawn as the author draws men. Um, I don't know how much intent you can derive from that, but I think it's something. I think, I think if you're going to judge uh, a visual medium like a manga in this way, then you have to assume that it is intentional. Mm-hmm. Because it's not like, it, it takes... It's, that's it. It's a sympathetic story, but I just don't know that that mm-hmm. sympathy isn't a bit patronizing. Um, but yeah, that's that's the story. Um, I think it's interesting as sort of a historical artifact, and it was also translated relatively recently into English. So I think it got a lot mm-hmm. of discussion. Mm, not like a long time ago, but. Um, let me see, when was it translated? It was translated before 2018. There was a lot of like, how do we reflect this? How do we reflect both the intentions of the text and the expectations of readers? The modern and the modern sensibilities of readers, I assume. Yeah, I just don't love framing it that way because I'm like, regardless it's cool to be let people define themselves and to take your lead on who a person is from what that person tells you it's just that it has become slightly less socially acceptable to disbelieve trans people when they tell you who they are (laughs) it's like are you going to be a dickhead or are you going to be a dickhead in a way that we've decided is not appropriate anymore (laughs) Um, I don't, 
Thank you for telling me about this this manga, Aoife. It I might read it and stop earlier. Um, I do know, and I can't remember if this is like a real thing or an urban legend, but there used to be lesbian romances, and in order to get them published, uh, you would have to kill one of them or end it in tragedy, and it was just known that you were to not read the last chapter. I've also heard that urban legend. I don't know if it's if it is true, but um, <laughs> and you know what? I'm gonna if I read Claudine, um, I'm going to read Claude's story and just end, just end at the like the happy ever after with Siren, yeah. Oh, not even that. I'm I like I don't I don't even mind that like within their story, Siren, uh like cheats and decides to go on a different path but I think I I feel like the moment of like of happiness is when they find imperfect Mm -hmm. man like they get the actual language to talk about themselves and I think in this discussion as well I have to go back to the fact that Ryoko Ikeda was part of the year 24 group and these people were groundbreaking mm-hmm. um they were the first people to bring complexities of like plot topics about gender and politics and sexuality uh into shoujo and to like bring these stories into a genre that was considered girly and stupid um it was the year 24 group who were the first people to bring queer themes to shoujo manga um, and there are mm-hmm. definitely big, complicated discussions to be had about whether, like, the sort of romance between two boys for the consumption of young female audience or and romance between two girls for the same audience are cool or problematic. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, this these were the first people in this medium to start bringing these stories forward and surely it's not nothing that there was a cool story about a trans boy available and targeted at afab people in 1970s japan not so great that it ends it's definitely not nothing it is it is definitely not nothing like i am i i know that like i know 50 years later we're like, ooh, these things in it are ooh. But I'm I'm honestly impressed. Yeah. I'm it it is it in the same way that like it's not exactly the same, but in the same way that like Buffy the Vampire Slayer, when it came on TV, was groundbreaking. And now we watch Buffy the the Vampire Slayer and we're like, oh, Oh no! Why those were choices? Yeah. Oh, oh no! Why would you do that to the cat? Oof! And like, that's not to say that Buffy is not still an enjoyable thing to watch, and that it's not like still a good show. But choices were made that would not be made now. There's also the general, like you're right when you're when you're watching or listening or you know imbibing a piece of media that is extremely formative in its themes and like the first of its kind it's easy to be like oh this is overdone and this is like 
Because it's not overdone at the time, but it's the first person to ever do the thing. It's, you know, the Wright brothers who built the first airplane? That that airplane could only fly for 12 seconds. That was a really shit airplane. (laughs) So if you're even 50 years later and you're like, I want to look at the Wright brothers plane and you watch it fly and you're like, that's a really bad airplane. <laughs> but, but if they hadn't done their airplane, other people couldn't have built on it, you know? Done yeah. theirs. Um, that's... Yeah, I think that that is the way to look at it in a historical context. Is it perfect by today's standards? No. Could we have gotten to today's standards without it? Possibly. Would it have taken... Yeah. Like, but we had to start somewhere. I just don't necessarily advocate that uh, people run headfirst into a book with trans suicide in it without a warning. No way. But Fair enough. I think Fair that's enough. our episode for today. Thank you for listening, listeners. Um, and uh, you can... We'll post some pictures of the book on our Instagram, which you can follow at Forever YA Podcast on Instagram. And for, you can also follow us on Twitter at Forever YA Pod. We have revamped our Patreon at, at patreon.com forward slash Forever YA Pod. And you can, uh, if you enjoy listening to us so much, you can actually get a bonus episode a month now for our, depending on your tier. And we would really appreciate if you would support us there um, so that we can keep bringing you this great content about mangas and books and just YA fiction in general. And if you are not financially viable to do that, we would love if you would tell a friend, recommend us, just tweet about us and how much you enjoyed us. Um, And uh, I think that's all for today. We'll be back in two weeks where I will be reading not a manga um but something real fun and interesting to discuss with you and we'll see you then bye forever young adult of the podcast hey the outro music has happened and you're still here I think you want to follow us on Twitter. Yeah, you can find us there at Forever YA Pod. And on Instagram at Forever YA Pod. You can also email us at Forever YA Pod. And if you really, really like what you're hearing, you can contribute to our Patreon, which you can find at Forever YA Pod. Also, don't forget to like and subscribe. Also, if you are listening on iTunes, please leave us a review. We love you. Talk to you in two weeks. Bye.